Hello, welcome everyone. Glad you've joined us again for another hour of A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope, in case you've stumbled upon us for the first time, is now a long live broadcast, which for the most part is guided along by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send in your questions to us on the Bible. We have a couple of wonderful guests here who love to connect your question with the answers via the Word, and uh, we would love to do that with you over the next hour here. So it could be a question on a, a verse in the Bible that you've come across, you don't know what it means, you're confused how to uh, apply that to your life, maybe something you're going through in your life, you'd like to make a, a good decision, and you'd like to know what the Bible says about it, maybe even Christianity as a whole, uh, maybe other worldviews and religions, anything along that that line, as long as it's an honest and sincere question, we'd appreciate that. And as long as you know that the Bible is where we're finding the answers on this show, not to our opinions so much, but uh, as accurately as we can, what the Word says about all these different questions and situations. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and be with you in all those platforms. I'll go over those in a moment, just so you know various ways that you can be joining us and participating with us today. We have Scott Richards. He's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That is me. That's you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Fantastic. Thank you for being here. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you for your time. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Guys, you guys are sporting the red. It's the, uh, the red it's, shirts. It's the second day of Hanukkah. Yeah. Oh, we've actually yeah. got a good sh kind of shade going that goes from red to maroon and this is actually kind of a ready it's got a bit of like plum to it such as i'd prefer that color now now do you enjoy uh tormenting the colorblind with such observation <laughs> uh, speaking as a member of the colorblind community i'm highly offended triggered as I it were i am I'd... triggered by this observation <laughs> we are all wearing the same color <laughs> to pastor scott no difference, ah, yeah, no difference right. in tone that's, that's right, right. <laughs> yeah. also with us pastor sean richards your your son in case you didn't know that how you doing today I'm not colorblind yet. You're not colorblind yet. No, I don't think I am. I, I don't either. think I'd know if I was. Yeah, that's true. You just uh, you just assume that what you see is right. I think on dogs, color they only see like three colors or something like that. I don't know. Well, I know they may more than make up for it, daredevil style, with their sense of smell. But then again, I thought that the voices were just how people had imagination. So who knows what I'll discover late in life. This yeah. is true. That's you know, I've always wondered about that thing. Can dogs watch TV or not? Because <laughs> I've seen some that like actually run up and bark at animals, yeah, and now yeah. I see that no, they can't see the image on the screen. Yeah, I I tend to believe they can. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think they're all that interested in the program. I know my dog tends <laughs> yeah, to not good I mean, for them zone. unless it's the AKC championships or yeah. something. Then I think they. Yeah, I think it might vary from one to another. My yeah. dog seems if a dog comes on the screen, he doesn't. You know, she doesn't seem to respond or anything. Yeah, but. Yeah, but anyway, my snake likes but, it but when I play on my phone. <laughs> yes. What's that? My snake likes it when I play on my phone. <laughs> I'm not kidding. She'll, I don't think she'll, that's common she'll amongst like arch up and the look speech. at it. <laughs> Well, it's because she she was born recently, probably a you know millennial snake or something. I don't know. But anyway, this is not what we're here to do. Um, it gets better from here. <laughs> Allegedly, our <laughs> dogs colorblind. This mm. and many more discussions as we go along on a reason for hope. Well, as I mentioned, we are live with you Monday through Fri Friday, 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 five to six p.m. Uh, here in Tucson, Arizona. We're based. Uh, so if you're in the Tucson. Arizona um, area, you're welcome to come and, and, and check out our church here, uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson. Reason for Hope is a ministry and outreach of it. We're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, so if you're looking for somewhere to worship, you're more than welcome to uh, come along. But we're broadcasting 
from there as we do Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can join us all around the world, of course. If you go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, uh, you can check out more about our church there, but also on that Watch Live tab, we are streaming to that link, which the direct link is ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your browser, ccftucson.online.church. We'll take you right there or calvarychristianfellowship.com and follow the Watch Live uh, link. But we're live there. Uh, once you sign in with a username of your choice, you can send us your question through the chat function. I'll be right there with you. When we're offline, you'll see a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown to our next show. So you know when to make yourself available to join us. Very helpful of us. We're on Facebook Live as well, CCF Tucson, uh, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd certainly appreciate that. And you can send your question in through the chat function attached to the video there, and I'll be there with you as well. Uh, we have an app for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Once again, look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. You can download us on your mobile device take us with you wherever you go. Uh, we have a channel on Roku and on Apple TV as well. So if you have those devices or a smart TV, um, you can add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Watch us on your big screen. We're live on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. Look for A Reason for Hope live there. Don't forget to, once again, like, subscribe, click on the notification bell if you'd like, and then you get prompted when we're live. It's a good place also for archives. Whenever we've been live, it does archive there for you on that live tab. So if you would like to recap a question that we covered or you missed a show, we also post other content questions of the week um, and, and also our services um, here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. These uh, are the same live channels that we have. So we stream lots of things. So uh, join us there on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Pastor Scott here is on uh, Twitter. Scott R4H, how's things in the Twitterverse these days? Uh, they are hopping. Uh, lots of uh, people interested in uh, prophecy updates, and yep. we try to provide those on a timely basis about what's happening in Israel, earnestly contending for the faith. Yep. Uh, got into a bit of a, a brouhaha over whether John 3.16 actually teaches that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There were some who said that the world there doesn't mean world. What uh, does it mean? It just means a kind of an orderly arrangement, and that's all that John meant. Oh my goodness! So I, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I will engage. <laughs> Other times I will just, you just arch an eyebrow and tilt yeah. my head and look bemused. But it's never boring, right? And uh, there's some uh, really uh, wonderful uh, people on. Uh, Twitter that we tend to link up with. You'll see links to their uh, Twitter feeds as well. I think you're going to find a really edifying experience. Mm, great. Yeah. Well, Scott R4H on Twitter. Scott, letter R number four, letter H to follow along uh, with him on there. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post video content there if you're using the Rumble platform. Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And then our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us your question there as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates, we're certainly glad you're tuning in. Do drive safely. Keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, usually like yesterday's show um, on the radio. Those other platforms I mentioned are live, uh, but you are a day behind on the radio. But uh, keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com. If a question comes to mind, send it uh, 
to us via email when it's safe to do so, and we'll get to that on our next show. So please do send in your questions. I will be checking all those platforms. Um, we'll probably have an update here on Israel and what's going on in the Middle East, and then we'll get to your questions today. So do send them on in. Do be brave. We'd love to get your questions if it's honest and sincere, and if we can answer it from the Bible. We are blessed to do that. Yes, yeah. we are indeed. Yeah. So let's pause to pray as we'd love to do. Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us? Yes, I would. Yeah. Uh, Father, thank you that we can come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise and that you're always glad to see us, Lord. You've made a new and living way uh, through the veil that once kept uh, us distant and separated from your awesome presence and your holiness uh, through uh, your son dying for us, paying the price for our sins allowing us to be clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus and uh, to uh, remove our sins as far away from us as the East is from the West. What blessed people we are, not just to be forgiven, but adopted into your forever family and dearly beloved by you. We pray, Father, that that sense of uh, connection and communion with you would be evident in the program today, that if there are any tuning in that are feeling lost or lonely or or abandoned or, or abused, that uh, you would minister to them in a very powerful heart-to-heart way as your word goes forth. You would speak uh, maybe a scripture or two that we wouldn't even intend to deal with a specific situation, and hey, you would use it through your spirit to change and touch lives today. Of course, Lord, we want to pray for any that are on the outside in looking at a relationship with you, that you would draw them into a saving relationship with your, yourself, that they would realize that all they need to do is uh, understand uh, that you, the true and living God, love them, that you gave your son to die for them and rise from the dead, that their sins could be forgiven, they could be reconciled uh, to you, and that they would put their faith and their trust in you and you alone as their hope of heaven. Uh, Lord, that's the way we're adopted into your forever family, by that faith that you give to us. So we pray that miracle would happen in many places around the world. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand with your truth on a day like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen indeed. Well, as, uh, we, we appreciate your updates on Israel. Is there any yeah. new developments? Yeah, well, uh, uh, just a few yeah. uh, that we'd want to bring up for you. Uh, first of all, uh, there have been a number of stories and uh, very uh, explicit pictures shared online of mass surrenders of Hamas terrorists uh, to Israel in the uh, city of Canyonis. <laughs> uh, why this is happening, we're really not sure. Uh, why in mass they're doing that? Maybe they're running out of resources. Perhaps it has something to do uh, with Israel's uh, uh, pro- uh, proclaimed program of flooding the terror tunnels that are bringing these people to the surface. And uh, I think uh, the, uh, to uh, paraphrase uh, General George S. Patton, uh, the way you uh, win a war is not dying for your country, it's to get the other guy to die for his country. Uh, In a parallel, I think uh, the idea of martyrdom really sounds great when someone else is doing it. But uh, when it comes down to you actually being a martyr, maybe that's a different thing. And that's why we're seeing these uh, en masse surrenders at this point. Fascinating uh, answer to a question that struck me. You know, they say, well, what uh, will we do with Hamas uh, once uh, they're defeated? Uh, What do you do with all these troops? Well, at this point, they're sending them to Israeli prisons. Uh, And so there's a partial answer anyway to that particular question. But it does seem to be a step in the right direction. Again, no word on the hostages. We need to be praying 
for their safety. As uh, you know, if you've tuned in this program, I'm not real optimistic that most of the hostages are going to ever be uh, released uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, you're dealing with murderous thugs here who care nothing about human life, whose uh, own twisted uh, form of theology tells them that killing Jews is a service to God. Uh, so that's going to be a motivator. The other thing, as we saw, our own State Department said that uh, the uh, Hamas uh, does not want eyewitness testimonies to come out of the atrocities that they have been doing, the human rights violations and so on, because this is a war for hearts and minds. Speaking of the war uh, for hearts and minds, just a couple of things we want to uh, bring to your attention. Big dust up at a uh, Senate hearing uh, on the uh, presence of anti-Semitism in Ivy League schools. You may have read the story before, but representatives from Harvard, uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and MIT uh, were called to congressional hearing regarding the calls for genocide of the Jews on campus. Uh, the uh, response from these three presidents was very lawyered up and had uh, everything to do with, well, you know, we believe in free speech and the Constitution. Uh, it depends on the context of these things. Uh, these things are only harassment and bullying if, say, it results in an action towards somebody, which is fascinating to me because uh, if you've been paying attention at home, you know that college campuses, especially the University of Pennsylvania, the University of Pennsylvania uh, rated by the uh, FIRE organization, the uh, Freedom of Expression organization, as the second worst offender as far as inhibiting free speech on campus, you know, enforcing pronouns and firing people and, mm -hmm. and things along this line. Suddenly, uh, someone calling for a genocide against the Jews or a worldwide intifada or from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that is free of Jews, exterminating the Jews, and so on. Suddenly, that requires context. Well, that went over like a lead balloon, so much so that uh, the U.S. Department of Education has gotten involved. Uh, Catherine Lemon, who is the person in charge of human rights at the U.S. Department of Education, uh, said that uh, no context is needed uh, calling for genocide is categorically unacceptable and frightening and deserves all immediate and effective response, period. Uh, Lehman also uh, added that she estimates an investigation into suspected anti-Semitism will be opened against MIT, and this after a similar investigation has already been opened against Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania. But wait, there's more. Apparently this is growing some teeth. Uh, there is a move in Congress to change the law that uh, essentially shields the trust funds of these private schools from any uh, tax liability. In other words, if they don't get their act together and get it together quickly, uh, the multi-billion trust funds that these uh, uh, universities sit upon and basically have, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, managers invest and reinvest and so on, uh, suddenly that's going to be uh, uh, a major tax liability for them, and money talks. So uh, a very positive uh, point of view when that kind of uh, dissembling has gone on. Uh, the other thing that uh, we would mention to you uh, that is a bit disturbing uh, is this. Uh, there have been a number of uh, countries, including Canada, 
that have uh, made statements to the effect that uh, they would uh, dearly uh, appreciate it if Jewish people did not publicly celebrate, uh, say, uh, holidays like Hanukkah. Now, as uh, you know, Hanukkah involves placing a menorah uh, in uh, your, your uh, window to uh, signify uh, the eight days of Hanukkah. Several cities around the world have canceled the lighting of Hanukkah menorahs and removed Jewish symbols. Uh, our friend Amir Safadi points out that the organizers of an art festival in Williamsburg, Virginia, say they do not want the lighting of candles to be interpreted as taking a stand on their part and supporting one side in the war. So uh, when it suddenly became illegal to celebrate Hanukkah, um, I uh, had a stroke of inspiration. I was given an Israeli flag by the people at uh, Temple uh, Beth Shar Shalom, a wonderful messianic congregation here yep. in uh, Tucson. Loved the people there. They gave me a flag. And uh, in order to uh, express uh, my point of view on that, I put the flag up on my wall so it's on display for all to see. And we're also potentially enforcing a new policy at our church that if any activists come by and try and tear it down, we will put it up along with some fun facts about the prophet of Islam. Yeah, because uh, you might want to explain why that would be a, a interesting response. Yeah, according to the Quran, uh, they are given a direct command because Muhammad couldn't handle criticism that if the non-believers are to going to do something in response that would insult Allah or his messenger, that they're to refrain from doing that sort of thing. So Quranically, in our sense it would be biblically, they're compelled to cease from behaviors that would encourage non-believers to mock Muhammad or Allah, but the line between the two is often blurred. So if, for instance, the normalization and routine, and you can see this on uh, Christian channels, for instance, that engage with Muslims regularly, uh, when they put out a death threat or they uh, specifically start making comments, there was an organized effort by Ali Dawa, Muhammad Hijab, and other individuals who were prominent at Speaker's Corner in your old neck of the woods mm. uh, to start harassing in a very intimate way the wives of those who are critical of Islam on yeah. YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, in response, they started making origami out of the Quran. And, of course, yeah. this would be considered extremely disrespectful because the Quran is viewed the same way that Christians would view Jesus, like, oh. full stop. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that as well is that it's an ongoing policy in live streams that if a threat comes out or if an organized effort to defame, mock, or slander, or even blood libel individuals, regardless of whether they're Christian or not, these groups, myself included, will go out of their way to either tear up a Quran on camera or if uh, you're from the countries of Pakistan and Persia, referred to by us Westerners as Iran, uh, they'll do even more interesting things with pages of the Quran. Mm -hmm. And it does, in fact, produce results. And I think this is something that governments in, as a whole should start to get a hold of more, because if terrorist attacks will result in non-believers blaspheming the Quran, it could actually save lives, yeah. chapter and verse from their book. It's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, talk about a different kind of mindset yeah, absolutely. Than, than any that we are uh, acquainted with. Uh, so uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, indeed, uh, the question comes up uh, then, uh, what about Hanukkah? Uh, what is Hanukkah? 
all about. Uh, well, uh, in a nutshell, Hanukkah is an eight-day celebration. It's called the Festival of Lights. It's also known as the Feast of Dedication. It goes back to the time of an incredibly oppressive uh, Greek ruler that was dominating Israel at this time named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes believed he was an incarnation of the god Zeus and was very rah-rah about promoting Greek culture, so much so he made practicing Judaism illegal. If, say, for instance, a uh, family would circumcise their child, they would nail the mother and the child to a wall to show people not to do that sort of thing. He went so far as to uh, offer a pig on uh, the altar in the temple and set up a, a statue of Zeus to be worshipped uh, in the temple itself during that time. Which is a foreshadowing and the literal definition of what the Antichrist will do in Daniel yeah. 11. Yeah, Daniel 11 describes this, predicts this was going to happen. But uh, the fascinating thing was, uh, although Antiochus Epiphanes had one of the strongest armies in the world at that time, at least his uh, quarter division of the Greek armies under Alexander the Great, uh, a ragtag group of rebels uh, began to oppose him, uh, led by a fellow named Judaeus Maccabeus. Uh, we get the term of the Maccabees from that, uh, the Maccabees and so on. Uh, their uh, exploits are described for us in the book of First Maccabees. And uh, essentially, they managed not only to hold their own against the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes, they actually drove out the Greeks eventually. And when they drove them out, they immediately went back to the temple to reclaim it. Now, there was a big problem. Uh, there was only enough certified oil from a high priest uh, to last maybe a day. And uh, to dedicate the temple, you had to have that oil uh, in the temple. So they had to send out, send away to find some more. Uh, it would take eight days for this to happen. And this one small amount of sacred oil uh, was miraculously preserved in such a way that uh, the menorah in the temple uh, burned for eight consecutive days, hence the eight days of Hanukkah. Uh, some people are uh, familiar with Hanukkah. They call it like Jewish Christmas, but uh, it's not really uh, anything along that line. Uh, essentially, uh, presents are given along the line because it's a symbol of the fact that uh, this was a gift of God. Hanukkah is mentioned in the New Testament. It's called the Feast of Dedication. And in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, uh, setting up Jesus' famous statement that I am the light of the world, uh, Jesus again demonstrated who he was and presented himself as such by pointing out the miracles that he had done uh, mm -hmm. during that time. So Jesus observed it. Uh, it is a very significant thing and it's fascinating that this second day of Hanukkah coincides with the two-month anniversary of the October 7th massacre and the subsequent mm. uh, cleansing, if you will, of uh, the land from the darkness of terrorism. So which, uh, uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah, which uh, also gives us an uh, answer and grounds to deal with the question, you know, what about extra-biblical holidays and so forth? How should a Christian view that? And the best way to view it is, like with Hanukkah, it is a extra-biblical holiday, but one that was regarded by Jesus because it was a legitimate work of God or something that God could legitimately be honored through. And when we look, for instance, in the book of Zechariah, 
uh, chapters uh, 7 and 8, I believe, the questions that were being brought up to the prophet about whether or not they should observe certain fast days uh, regarding the destruction of the temple, the death of, or I guess the murder of Ishmael, the death of the individual who was governor there, and all these other tragic events, they were not to be disregarded but converted from fasting days to feast days right. to do so with the new attitude now that the temple is rebuilt. So the dogmatic attitude that many well-meaning Christians may have towards, well, I don't want to celebrate anything other than, you know, these actual feast days and stuff. I'm not a fan of birthdays. I'm not a fan of, well, I empathize, but the idea behind celebrating holidays because they're not in the Bible is not only an unbiblical position and conclusion, but it's also one that we have direct contrary evidence to by the example of Jesus himself, mm-hmm. not just on the, the direct example of Hanukkah, but on principle throughout Scripture, yep. where we have other holidays than the Jewish five festivals. Now, this is important because many people are asking, with Christmas season coming up, Christmas isn't celebrated in the Bible. It's certainly recognized as an event that's commemorated in Scripture. You read Luke chapter 2, you probably still have it memorized. Yes. Uh, I, I won't stretch you, but uh, the idea <laughs> well, behind I could, it. I could give it to you, but, <laughs> but the idea behind it is... My consciousness. Yeah, yeah, the idea, well, uh, <laughs> almost as much as that uh, poor uh, popular girl in the in the uh, baby Jesus. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ask yeah, us you, about it sometime. You, you have to get last night's uh, study in Ezekiel to understand all that. But yeah, but the idea behind <laughs> it is, okay, should we celebrate Christmas? Well, it's regarding a biblical event. God can legitimately be put a part of it and not in a way that's any stretch. We can honor these days not just for the sake of they give us an excuse to get each other gifts or take advantage of sales, but because we can dedicate this day as unto the Lord. And if we can do that in clean conscience, then by all means. Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with a Christian celebrating Hanukkah, uh, as long as we realize that we're not more godly if we do and less godly if we don't. Uh, These are not the things that make us right with God. But as such, you know, since Jesus essentially celebrated it, uh, used it as a time of highlighting the miracles that he was doing as his proof that he was the Messiah. Boy, what a wonderful thing it is to take uh, this uh, week and, you know, think about the miracles that Jesus did each day. Think about the miracle of the new birth. Think about the miracle of forgiveness of sins. Think about the miracle that uh, you and I are going to heaven someday. You know, it can be a really wonderful time of thanksgiving and uh, an opportunity to be able to shine the light of Jesus in this dark world. Amen to that. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we do have some questions coming in. If you guys yeah, like let's to dive jump in. on yep. in. Uh, question from Taylan. What is the contrast between the sin mentioned in 1 John 5.16 and the sin mentioned in Romans 6.23? I have them here. I can well, read them for you. Okay. Um, 1 John 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, there's this, there's an important distinction there. You know, in the book of Romans, we're talking about something that is universal. Uh, <laughs> I guess to quote uh, uh George Bernard Shaw, the statistics on death are most impressive. One out of one people die. Well, why is that? Well, we die because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us are a fallen son or daughter of uh, Adam and Eve. 
and uh, from our relation to the our first two parents, uh, we all have a fallen sinful nature. We fall into it like falling off a log. And as if we didn't have that, we ratified that fallen sinful nature through our own rebellious acts against who God is and, and what he has done, what he has told us. And so we've all got a sin problem. And the problem, that, the biggest problem with sin is this. Once you separate yourself from God who is life, what are you left with? You're left with death, not just physical death, although we see that manifesting in this world, but spiritual death, that is eternal separation from the author of life. Uh, not life after death, but death after death, if you will, an eternal separation from him. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross, to reconcile us to God, pay the price for our sins. The Bible tells us, that Jesus speaking, that if anyone hears my words and believes in him who sent me, he has eternal life. He will not enter into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So that's true about us all generically. The passage you mentioned in 1 John chapter 5 about a sin leading to death, uh, John d makes a distinction of saying, uh, you know, all unrighteousness is sin, but there is sin not leading to death. What is, being refer what is being referred to there is an area, say, of persistent sin and a person who's a Christian that causes God to, in a sense, uh, chastise that person to the extreme. Now, does God chastise and correct us all as his children? Yeah, if you're not corrected by God, you're not one of his kids at all. Uh, the only person that is proper to chastise a kid is the parent, right? Uh, try correcting someone else's kid and see what that gets you. Uh, but if you belong to God, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 12, my son, do not despise the chastening of God, nor let your heart detest his correction. For uh, every son whom he receives, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom his heart delights. So God will correct us as we get out of line. What, what happens if we resist that correction? What if we push it to its limits? Well, there's some examples in Scripture that uh, tell us that God does have uh, some pretty severe medicine for those who are going to consistently disobey him. Uh, we see, for example, the, uh, the uh, incident with Ananias and Sapphira mm. in Acts chapter 5, where uh, we are told that, uh, first of all, Barnabas, who had some property, sold it and gave the proceeds to the disciples to meet the needs of the pilgrims who came at Pentecost who were staying around to get grounded in their faith. And, uh, you know, again, he laid at the disciples' feet, said, do with it whatever you want. Well, Ananias and Sapphira decided to do that and made a big deal about how they were giving all to the Lord, but they were keeping back part of the money themselves, and uh, the Lord wasn't having it. What happened to them? Uh, in reference to, again, Ananias and Sapphira, they physically died. Yeah. God uh, basically called them on the carpet. Peter said, you know, uh, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit and uh, say such a thing? Wasn't the property yours to do with what you want? You haven't lied to men, but to God. And we were told that as soon as Peter said that, Ananias fell over. A little while later, Mrs. Ananias, Sapphira, came in. And Peter asked the same question. Did you sell this property for X? Yeah, 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 we did. And, uh, you know, again, Peter said, you know, see the feet of the young men outside this door? They carried your husband out. They're going to carry you out as well. Boom, down she goes. So sometimes God's severe judgment will take somebody out. Now, does that mean Ananias and Sapphira didn't know the Lord? 
on the first casualty of some a situation like this, you're going to wonder, well, did they really know God or not? We'll find out when we get there. Ananias and Sapphira are in heaven. They certainly have some explaining to do about what they did with their lives. But there are situations where God will reserve the right to take someone out early, if you will, if they continually push that envelope and uh, sin against God. And that's what John is saying. That's why he's saying not to pray for such a person under such circumstances. Why? Because God is disciplining them at this point. Don't intercede. You know, let them skin their knees. Let them learn the lessons they need to learn. And hopefully as they learn their lessons, God will not have to in a sense, take them home early before they could finish their whole race. That's the sin unto death. So two things to sum all this up. Number one, we've all got a sin problem, and the wages of sin is death. It affects all of us. If we don't receive God's provision of life through Jesus Christ, that sin problem is not only going to create physical death in the here and now, spiritual death forever. Even as we have come to faith in Christ, in this mortal coil that we're in, in this, this earthly race that we're running, there can come times where we push things so far that God will take someone home early. He will allow them to uh, be taken out. And uh, hopefully uh, that is something that will cause us all to realize that uh, we're dealing with the true and living God here. Uh, and that God has a definite opinion about what we're doing. He's not just some uh, doddering Santee in the sky, patting us on the head, saying, oh, look at them and their little uh, sinful problem that God cares deeply about how we live. And God cares deeply about our lives because no one lives for himself or dies for himself, but for the Lord. And all of our lives have an influence and an effect on other people inside the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. So strong medicine, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I just don't want to live my life in such a way that I need to worry about it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, just a note of caution: be more, I guess, deliberate with certain words because if we end up using them too, I guess, uh, loosely, we can end up misrepresenting Scripture in some cases. The word contrast means something very specific. It's a poetic structure that's meant to make a comparison between the lesser to the greater. Sometimes the good to the best, sometimes the good to the bad. The best place to find examples of this is in the book of Proverbs. I just turned to a random page here. Uh, you'll probably find one if you are able to blink more than twice. Uh, Proverbs 15 and verse 5 is a good example. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. So notice the contrast. Notice the poetic structure of two subjects, one the lesser, the other the greater. The fool who despises correction, what he does, is contrasted with the one who receives it. So one despises, one receives. Both are being corrected by their father, but only one receives it. He's considered the greater. Another example of a contrast is one of the passages you mentioned. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice the contrast. If there's a natural payoff, death, the wages, there's a gift, an exception to the rule, that's life. Do you want the gift or do you want the natural result? That's a contrast. But if we note two entirely separate passages that both are addressing death in some sense, mm. we end up misusing the word and we end up miscommunicating what both passages are talking about. So contrast doesn't mean difference. Contrast 
doesn't mean contradiction. You'll see this used with atheists and skeptics and critics of the Bible as well. Make sure that when we use words, it's deliberate, because otherwise we'll miscommunicate. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Great, thank you guys. Thank you, Taylor, for your question. Hope that helps you out with that. Question from Mac D. Uh, he asks, would you say the definition of sin is unbelief? It's what an expression of it. It yeah. cer- certainly is. Um, you know, again, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter uh, uh, 16, uh, Jesus speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's actually to your benefit if I go away. For if I go away, I'll send the helper to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now notice what he says is he, the Holy Spirit will convict or convince beyond a shadow of a doubt people in the world of three things. Number one, the sin. Uh, they got a sin problem that has separated them from God. And notice what the root of that sin is. It's the sin problem is they do not believe in me. Uh, in the book of Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, we were told whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, uh, understand the idea of sin in this context carries the idea of missing the mark, not being who we were created to be. Uh, in other words, we were created to have this love and trust relationship with God. Jesus made it very plain that that was God's intention. Jesus made it very plain how we enter into that uh, relationship with him. But if we look at that and we go, nah, forget it. You know, again, that's a sin, the only sin that God can ever forgive, not coming to Jesus and putting our faith and trust in him. You know, and so uh, when we, we say that the root of sin is unbelief, yeah, I think there's a good case to be made from all of that. Because if, say, for instance, name your favorite sin, your favorite manifestation of the flesh. Go to Galatians 5 and pick out any one of those things. Or two. In in essence, uh, all those things have their root in one fundamental spiritual decision. Say, for instance, I decide to get involved with adultery. What I have done is I've said, God, I don't believe you when you say that the best course for my life is one man, one woman committed together for life. That uh, decision happened not just in the head, but in the heart long before the bodies got involved. Uh, And and so we need to understand that the root of sin is in the heart. It's not necessarily in the head. It's not just thinking wrong about certain things, although that certainly can contribute. It's not even in our conduct. It's not just, well, did I do right or did I do wrong, uh, you know, with uh, this, this body that I have right now it really kind of comes down to the heart. You know, that's why King Solomon in Proverbs chapter four said, uh, watch after your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. And if anyone's a poster child for someone who probably should have paid a little bit more attention to his heart than his head, it was King Solomon mm-hmm. because uh, he ended up falling away from the Lord, only came back at the very end of his life. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yep. the word itself is an archery term. It just means to miss. In a moral sense, it's missing the perfect standard of God's character. So did you do something that deviated from God's character in both thought, attitude, or action? Yeah, that's a sin. That's what it means. An example of it would be unbelief. It's definitely built on that. But the word itself just means miss. Yeah, got it. Great. Thank you, MACD. Thank you for that question. Appreciate you being part of the show. Um, 
question from Ron here, which is a, a, a lengthy question, uh, but I will certainly read it. Uh, in our Bible study, Ron says, several people asked about John MacArthur's sermon on Islam. Uh, it is available online for you to review. He compared the Mahdi to the Antichrist. What is uh, difficult to tell was where he was making assumptions or he had done exhaustive research into stating that Islam was satanic and the Mahdi was the Antichrist. My father was uh, Sunni, uh, but was of the American Muslim movement. They're, they are not very radical and I don't see them joining radical sects and forcing Islam on the other faiths. I have not studied the Islamic faith, but I know there is a radical fraction that may believe the things that John MacArthur was talking about. If you had the time to review what he was talking about, perhaps you could discuss it on the program. Yeah, maybe uh, the essence of the question, I'd throw it out to you, Sean, because this yeah. is your, right up your alley, is the Imam Mahdi or the 12th Mahdi is uh, in, not in Sunni Islam, but Shiite Islam, the one yeah. that is practiced in Iran, uh, considered to be the greatest and final uh, caliph or uh, leader of Islam, correct? And uh, he is going to come on the scene uh, when the world is at the midst of, uh, of war and uh, rout the forces uh, opposed to Islam and impose a worldwide caliphate even with Jesus going before him. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of your understanding then of the Imam Mahdi and what Islam teaches about this, both Sunni and Shia uh, have some ideas about this, right? Uh, does this fit the bill? Is this gonna be the Antichrist? Well, like anything else that we say, is this the Antichrist? What usually ends up happening, and it's a hazard that everyone with a futurist position, meaning that we expect prophecy to be fulfilled in the future, falls into, and it's called newspaper eschatology. When we look at the events of today, find bits and pieces of it that may fit at a certain angle into the larger picture that is biblical prophecy, and say that this little sample is the total fulfillment, or could be a total fulfillment, if you want to be generous. The problem is that while there are two or three things that people who are proponents of this will focus in on, that like the Antichrist will behead those who uh, hold held to their testimony, a la Revelation uh, 13 and 14, since the Antichrist will offer himself instead of Christ, which Islam undoubtedly does, it denies the sonhood of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, and the sufficiency of salvation by Jesus. That's the gospel. So it is an Antichrist religion. And of course, that Islam uh, predominantly uh, takes its influence in a violent opposition to the people of God more than any other cult group, even outdoing uh, communists to their credit. They're very prolific in the persecution and extermination of Christians. Islam has a longer history, so they can claim more bodies. That's mainly where people focus on without either stretching or even misrepresenting certain passages in Scripture with a lot of bad assumptions. The problem is that doesn't fit the bill when it comes to everything that Scripture has to say about this matter. So more information is going to be better than less, is my opinion, when it comes to these issues. And when people double down, clue in, and say, but look at these almost flipped parallels between the nature of this specific form, and, and the camera wasn't on me the whole time, but you kind of saw me squinting and shaking my head a little bit. Like Christianity, there are a lot 
of different views about the end times when it comes to Islam. And they have a very, very sure. extensive and well-thought-out way of approaching each one of them. Shia Islam and certain sects of Shia Islam, to their credit as well, are the ones who hold to this view. The problem is they're the ones who tend to get the most headlines because they're the ones most uh, willing to give their lives to cause this. That's why it tends to be the most well-known. But the problem with taking this assumption is to say, well, look at how it presents the Antichrist and the false prophet as instead Jesus and this 12th descendant of Ali who will carry on as a prophet after Muhammad, which is why the Sunnis want to kill Shias. That's blasphemous, according to the Quran. The idea then behind that, read Surah 33, mm -hmm. the idea behind that is, of course, a fundamental mistake that most Muslims wouldn't even agree with, secondly, but also, firstly, the book of Revelation was accessible in Arabia in the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th century when these doctrines were being put into paper. So if we ask the question, how could this satanically inspired religion, which fully right along with you, I'll acknowledge that, have this inverted view of the end times to try and deceive its followers into accepting the Antichrist whole cloth, same way anyone else would. They take the gospel and they twist it. The fact that they had it and altered it to suit their own ends is no more creative than the, uh, I guess, the Chinese translation of the Bible. It's an, a, a deliberate withholding of information or altering of information in order to uphold the Communist Party or the Watchtower translation. It's not something satanic in the sense of the Antichrist has been orchestrating this from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Every generation has had the opportunity to see its quote-unquote Antichrist manifest, but the final Antichrist isn't coming on Muhammad's time, it's coming on Jesus' time. That's yeah. the only time that he'll be allowed to reveal himself when the Holy Spirit takes the church away. Right. So the Second uh, Thessalonians 2, by the way. So the idea behind, well, you know, John MacArthur says, full respect to him, you know, he's a great Bible teacher regarded by many, myself included on certain topics, you need to be able to say, okay, there's some interesting parallels here, but I think you're giving Islam way too much credit, because if this was the capital A Antichrist, then the Lord would have come back in the 8th century if that. But if on the other hand we're going to say this is an Antichrist, then we need to be able and willing to answer it, just like Gnosticism, Arianism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and any other Antichrist religion that's raised its ugly head in the name of Christ throughout the years. Um, when it comes to, and we can maybe deal with this more tomorrow if you'd like, uh, but the, oh, this nice uh, group of Muslims, they wouldn't be radical. Well, it's like saying, well, those Christians, they don't bother anybody, they wouldn't evangelize. Yeah, I hope that their tribe increases and that the, they're chronically illiterate, but the idea behind Islam is fundamentally to establish a global caliphate. They only act upon it in a political sense based on the percentage of a Muslim population in a country, which is why they turn women into baby-making machines and need to flood a population with their citizens as much as possible. It's based on their ability to dominate through mob rule. Now, taking two steps back and going to the reason for the hope that we're uh, hopefully, I guess, getting through this question um, and everything that it entails. Again, all the sex and people getting concerned about, oh, the nuances and stuff. If I was a Muslim and I wanted to engage with Christianity and I found out, well, there's Calvinists and there's Anabaptists, how, how do I know how to engage with them? 
it's a lot simpler. Stay off the internet. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> yes, uh, more for more reasons than one. But the idea behind, okay, this is being put forward. This is concerning to me. So how do I respond to this? Do I get in my bunker and prepare for the Mahdi to appear from a well in Saudi Arabia, which was actually what happened. Actually and, in Iran, yeah. Well, but yeah. The, the child yeah. went yeah. missing, yeah. and uh, they came up with this story, and the story got built until the point where it ended up being the foundation of their group's eschatology. Great. But when it comes to, and speaking from experience, witnessing to a Sunni Muslim, a Shia Muslim, a nominal Muslim, an Ekmadi, a you know, Sufi, Salafi, whatever, it all stands or falls on two fundamental things. Who do they say that Jesus is, which they'll claim he's just a prophet, he was just a human messenger, just like Muhammad, we respect, we regard him, but we don't believe that he's God. And then they'll have these set rotes of dawah, their form of evangelism, in order to counter that. If you can effectively engage on that issue to explain to them who Jesus is, that's your turf. You don't need to know about their eschatology in order to effectively engage with them. Right. Secondly, is understanding that their authority and their foundation and confidence, I could reach my Quran, but I'm talking right now, all centered around <laughs> all centered around the idea that, okay, if this is 100% true, then any evidence you give to me the contrary, even if I could grant every single apologetic you give that this is nonsensical, that these arguments are, well, those were my my sheikhs, my imams, these are the arguments my dawah guys gave me. And, and they've shown time and time again, these guys could be the biggest liars in history, and they are. I'm still going to believe that Islam is true, because whatever they say, it's all still in the name of the absolute truth. Take that for what you will. But if you can show them where and when the Quran has issues, if you can take the time to read through it, and it's in tandem shorter than the New Testament, you can read through it in maybe two weeks, although you probably lose brain cells in the process. Understand some fundamental claims about Jesus. Surah 4157 is as great start as far as going on the offense. Surah 3, 3 through 4 and 1827. If every Christian knew those three verses, Islam would be gutted. And what did they say? Uh, Surah 3, 3 through 4 affirms that the Torah and the Gospel, the Old and New Testament, the Torah and the Injil are the inspired words of Allah. Surah 1827, among other passages, says that all, no one can change Allah's words. So the claim that the Bible's been corrupted and you have to base your authority on the Quran now goes out the window according to the Quran. And if you can get them to stick to the Bible and show there's a difference between what the Bible says and the Quran says, they're trapped. You know those verses, and you can hold their feet to the fire, right. metaphorically, in terms of their fundamental denial that Jesus was ever crucified, despite that being the most universally accepted fact of ancient history. That will challenge their belief in the Quran. Mm -hmm. You attack their book, you attack their man, you're going to get them on the right track and able to ask questions that they've been trained from infancy mm -hmm. to not entertain at all. That's what we need to be focusing on. Regards to eschatology, there are cases people have made in favor of it being the Antichrist. Might be. I don't think so. Again, I think it's giving Islam way too much credit. But I repeat myself. If, on the other hand, you are engaging with Muslims personally, 98.102% are not going to bring it up in conversation. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's my advice. You know, one other thing I would add as far as, uh, and, and again, Ron, I would have to listen to exactly what uh, Dr. MacArthur said 
uh, about this particular uh, issue uh, to be 100% certain, but taking from what you've communicated that uh, Islam uh, could be uh, the last day's world religion, that it could be the thing that dominates the world and so on, and that uh, the Antichrist uh, will be uh, some kind of Muslim leader. Uh, I don't think the Bible supports that uh, in a key area. In the book of Revelation chapter 17, we see a prophetic picture of the last day's world dominating religion. Uh, and uh, it is the picture of mystery Babylon, uh, the mother of harlots and so on. She was drunk with the blood of saints and, and all this. But it's interesting. She comes on the scene and she is riding on top of the beast. In other words, she is dominating the Antichrist when the Antichrist first comes on the scene. The Antichrist has to play ball with this world religion. But there's going to come a time, we are told, in Revelation chapter 17, in, uh, in verse uh, 16, it says, In the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, that is the false world-dominating religion, make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give the kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Now, uh, what we see here is that the Antichrist will use this last day's world-dominating religion for a time, but then it's going to become cumbersome to him. He doesn't want to share the spotlight. He will destroy this last day's world-dominating religion and supplant it when he goes into the rebuilt mm -hmm. temple in Jerusalem and declares himself God to be mm -hmm. worshipped. These are all things that would, uh, I would say, make it very difficult to say that Islam is going to be this last day's world-dominating religion and that this guy is going to be some kind of uh, caliph or imam. Uh, there would be no way that a caliph or an imam would uh, jettison Islam, completely lose all of his followers and at that point. Otherwise he'd cease to be Muslim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wouldn't be a Muslim anymore. Mm. So it does appear that once again, uh, that the universalism involved with this uh, mystery Babylon religion that's going to dominate in the last days uh, is going to probably include aspects of Islam. Uh, it's going to probably include aspects of apostate Christianity. It's going to include Buddhism. It's going to include Hinduism. Uh, you name the ism. It's, it's going to be the coexist bumper sticker coming together uh, for a time, but only for a short while. How interesting that everything the Antichrist does seems to solve all the world's problems, but only for a short while. He brings peace to the earth. Who can uh, fight against the beast, make war with him? Then suddenly, peace is taken from the earth. Uh, you know, the, the world has one world religion. They're all worshiping under the same banner, but it only happens for a time. Then the Antichrist jettisons that uh, world religion and so on. Uh, you know, you have economic prosperity, but then we see in Revelation chapter 6 that there's going to come time of incredible famine and want that's going to take place as a result of all this because the wrath of God's being poured out here. So for those reasons, I do not believe that Islam is going to be the last day's world religion, although people write books on it. And uh, I think if you fold, spindle, and mutilate, like you said, uh, be really careful of newspaper eschatology. Because I can remember back in the early 80s, this guy Benjamin Krem came on the scene, took out full-page ads in major newspapers, including the LA Times, that said this guy Lord Maitreya 
was going to be the promised one of all religions, that he was going to speak to the whole world telepathically, and everybody was going to follow him, and everybody was convinced for a time leading up to this date, this Benjamin Krem uh, predicted, that uh, this might be Mystery Babylon, and this might be that one world dominating religion. Well, they came and went, and Lord Maitreya didn't speak telepathically, and you know, obviously they always come up with an excuse or reason why that didn't happen. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, once again, when people said, oh, don't you think the New Age movement is, is it? And Shirley MacLaine and, and all these things. Like, mm. Could have been. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. We better just to affirm what the scripture says and realize that kind of like Daniel was told, go your way, Daniel. Uh, you know, these things are, are, are sealed until the end. The wise are going to understand in the end what these things are all about. Uh, but uh, tell the end, well, you know, there, there's going to be aspects of this uh, that, as Chuck Smith would say, just have to put them in that file for further information needed, and we'll go back and revisit them again. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't jump on the uh, Islam is the religion of the Antichrist uh, train. Uh, it would be interesting to me if a guy like MacArthur actually went all in on that. Uh, but uh, if he did, I would disagree with him on that point. Mm. Yeah, you guys, you, you didn't uh, read that article or the, the, the message that anything. he gave. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm sure it's I didn't available. get a chance to do it. Yeah. Well, the email is just text. He didn't send a link. But, oh, I see. But you know, rather than you know, again, uh, comparing people's sermons, it's just best just to read the word and say, okay, does that right. really line up? It, to me, it doesn't. With Bring them to 17. Jesus. Don't yeah. expose them as the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's it. We're out of time for today. Thank you both. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sean. We'll be back again. Same time, same place, same faces tomorrow. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you back at Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.